Good day, everyone. Today we have my brother, Reverend Jared Sawyer Jr. Stay tuned for the first five minutes of our conversation where I introduce him, and I do mean the first five minutes of our conversation where I literally read his whole biography in which he deserves. Um, we talk about You Power Purpose Incorporated, which is a nonprofit organization that he had created. Um, and we talk about the purpose curriculum. Um, we talk about uh, Jesus Christ and how the, Jesus was an example of how we should protest. We talk about Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, uh, view on protesting um, and what we should do in preparation for our protesting. And we also talk about Reverend uh, Dr. Bernice King, um, which is Dr. King Jr.'s daughter. Um, we talk about uh, protesting in Atlanta and how it was high spirited. We talk about what the tired movement is. Um, we talk about the me- the media, the mass media's accuracy. Um, we talk about um, what Jared Sawyer sees as things that keep him hopeful for a better future for our descendants. Um, and then we also talk about um, you know the mindset of Reverend Jared Sawyer on the way to the protest and leaving the protest. So um, I'm so um, honored to have interviewed my brother, Jared Sawyer Jr. Uh, make sure that you um, reach out to him and read more about him in the, in the description of this video. Um, thank you so much for tuning in and enjoy the episode. Good day everyone my name is arthur maxwell paul ii and today we have a wonderful light to the world a young man who was called at the age of five by god to preach the gospel um my brother my friend a mentor a colleague my wonderful legend living legend in the making Reverend Jerry Andre Sharp Jr. It's a pleasure to have you, my brother. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm great, man. How are you? I am great. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you, man. So just like a, a little bit of background because people don't understand how important you are, man. Um, for the past 15 years, Reverend Sawyer has acclaimed an international ministry as a preacher, motivational speaker, and an author. Um, his support system has always been his family being enrooted in the word of God. In 2008, he was featured in The Child Preacher, which is a, a European documentary produced by the British Broadcasting Company, BBC, and Around the World in 80 Days, an original British television series aired by the BBC for two seasons. Um, remember, so you're currently, well, did you graduate, right? No, no, still there. Oh, so Reverend Sawyer is currently pursuing a Bachelor of Arts degree in at Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, the AUCB one and only Morehouse College. Okay, one of the best colleges for Black males in the world. You know, a Morehouse, a man in Morehouse will tell you that it is the best college for uh, a, a Black man to go to. <laughs> he is the 2013 recipient of the Trailblazer Leadership Award from Badula Heights University. In November of 2012, he was graced by to be the invocation speaker for the National Black MBA Association. Uh, he was the keynote speaker at Howard University's Paul Anthony Diller Awards program in Washington, DC. Uh, he is the 2015 recipient of the NAACP's Earl E. Schenholster Youth Services Award and the inaugural recipient of the King Center's Dream Forward Spiritual Faith-Based Award. Um, he has been passionate about community empowerment. He has been a spokesperson uh, for the American Heart Association and the advocate for, for civil and human rights. Um, he, has an, he is an active member of the NAACP. Um, he's appeared on TBN's Praise the Lord, Fox News, uh, ABC Nightline, Huffington Post, numerous media. Um, and he sends the message to the world that age, age is nothing but a number. <laughs> um, he is the founder of You Power Purpose Incorporated, 
a nonprofit organization designed to help the next generation for leaders uh, of leaders to discover it. Uh, oh, to help the next generation of leaders discover and, and drive their purpose and equip them with moral values and advance their social growth. Um, Reverend Sawyer has, has written four books and his latest release is Empower Your Purpose, which is available worldwide right now. Um, 200,000 people follow him on social media. He has been featured on in several film and television pro projects, including Todd Perry and The Best of Enemies, um, a feature of film starring, starring Taraji P. Henson. And Reverend Sawyer is only but 22 years old right now, y'all. Um, and the best is yet to come. His motto is praise, praise is what I do. You, you, you gotta sing that part, you know, you gotta, you gotta sing that part. So his motto is praise is what I do. And millions of people around the world can attest that they know he was placed on this earth to do just that. Welcome again, uh, Reverend, um, Pastor, um, Jared, Jared Sawyer Jr. Thank you, thank you so much. So um, I just want to quickly go over um, the the, or, the organization that, that you had uh, founded. Um, talk a little bit about You Power Purpose Incorporated. Like how, um, wh what type of work do you guys do to uh, equip uh, future leaders with moral values to advance their social growth? Yeah, YPP, you know, we are a network of young people between the ages of five years old, all the way up to the age of 40 years old, who have decided to live on purpose, live with purpose, live by purpose in every area of their life. Um, I realized that there are a lot of people who live their entire life never discovering their purpose. Uh, there's some people who don't discover it until it's too late. But there's a young generation out here that has a desire, an innate desire to tap into their purpose early on. They've decided that based on the exposure of social media and how visible just things are in life nowadays, they just decided, you know, I don't want to live a purposeless life. Right. Um, nor do I want to figure out what my purpose is when I'm in my 40s or in my 50s. But, you know, I'm 18 years old, I'm 15 years old, I'm 25 years old, I'm 30. You know, I'm in my career, but I want to be living in my purpose. So we built a curriculum that has been instituted in different public and private schools around the country um, to really actually show um, what purpose looks like and um, how you can walk along that path to purpose um, at a very young age and helping people to really latch themselves onto um, a purpose living lifestyle. I believe that in doing that, we're really moving in a, in a, in a, in a power and a strength that we've just never seen before because, um, you know, we're doing a lot of leadership teaching. We're doing a lot of character development teaching, but we're not doing a lot of purpose teaching. You cannot, however, be a, an effective leader without purpose. Um, right. But the thing is, a lot of people have purpose. We all have purpose, right? Um, but um, we just don't know what that purpose is. So we help leaders to tap into the best realm of leadership, which is the awareness of what their purpose is at an early age and how to move in. Absolutely. So can you give us like a, a, a little bit of a snapshot as to what, what that curriculum looks like? I'm, I'm very, very much so interested in, in, in how that curriculum um, uh, looks for, um, for a, grade, a, grade, a grade school student um, who was affected by um, this, this uh, curriculum. So how does that, how's that, how's that play out? Yeah. So um, we've got people starting at the age of five years old who become introduced to the conversation. And then at the age of 11, which we estimate really about at the age of 11, but in middle school, people can join the organization and we um, begin to introduce them to their place in the world, which is, as we were talking before we got on here with uh, about Dean Carter, um, you know, being a, a global cosmopolitan citizen in the world, um, that we're all inextricably bound to each other, that what affects you affects me and what affects mm -hmm. me affects you. Um, getting folks to realize that the only specialty within them is um, uh, getting people to understand the actual specialty that's within them 
and mm-hmm. not allowing it to be misconstrued the way that the world tends to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, we live in a society where a lot of times our generation doesn't even have as many confidence issues as we used to have mm-hmm. because we've got like social media. And if you've got a thousand followers, you just feel confident. You know, if you've got <laughs> 2000 followers, you feel more confident than let's say 20 years ago when social media wasn't as prominent and prevalent. Um, and so, you know, the question ends up becoming, you know, how do we begin to have conversation with our, with our youth to empower them, but to enrich them at the same time, but to let them know um, what their place in this world actually is, which is, you know, a big, a big, um, uh, you have a big place um, and a small place at the same time. And so we begin to kind of discuss that. And, and we take people along this, along this journey uh, depending on what age they are, you know, in middle school or in high school or in college or uh, in our professional division um, as to how they can begin to activate their purpose uh, in their life. So we do everything from leadership development, which would be um, developing those essential soft skills. Um, and uh, so that way they can network, they can be effective, they can grasp uh, and, t- and and get a good grip on every experience of their life. We We really teach our young people, what it looks like to take advantage of the moment, you know, Um, because I just realized that a lot of folks don't do that. A lot of people just get so caught up with everything that's going on in their life that they do not focus on um, the moment, right? Um, I don't think that there's ever been a moment in my life where, um, whether I was dealing with problems, um, you know, uh, socially or financially or family or health-wise or any of those things where I did not stop and say, you know what, let me be present in this moment because something is here. And so, you know, we teach people that and getting them to get to that place where they can, they can grow out of that. Um, And we've got things like competitions where people are able to demonstrate their expertise and different things that we teach them from like job, uh, job interview to uh, different um, academia, um, based like competitions like uh, computer programming and stuff like that wow Uh, educational programs um giving people the opportunity to create different career portfolios enhancing their knowledge um then the membership benefits you know people who get in the organization can benefit from like hotel discounts and you know stuff like that community service um creating fostering the spirit of true volunteerism um showing what servant leadership is all about i think when we take a look at some of the most, um, some of our martyrs and uh, influencers in especially the black community over the course of the past 100 years have shown us what servant leadership looks like, mm-hmm. um, like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., um, you know, a prime example of a servant leader um, and creating, helping uh, our young people to discover the balance between profit and purpose, um, between uh, service and purpose and what that actually looks like. Wow. Um, uh, awards and recognition, and um, our pathway to purpose curriculum is a is a multi level program, and um, in each division, in the middle level, high school, college, and professional division, there are three uh, statuses that they can reach that ends up getting them to tap into their purpose uh, at at its tier. Okay. Um, there's you, and then there's power, and then there's purpose. So there's Y, P, and P, and so each, you know, there's, there's just those three, those three statuses. And so mm-hmm. it's absolutely amazing. Oh, it's, that is absolutely incredible. It's funny because I just got off the phone with, with, the, with the educator from, um, from um, uh, Houston. He was telling me how, you know, we need more programs like that. We need new, new curriculums for our children. And he, he had mentioned purpose. And so purpose is, is extremely important. As, uh, when you were talking, you had mentioned Dean Carter, and just for people who don't know who Dean Carter is, Dean Carter is a uh, uh, Dean uh, Lawrence Edward Carter Sr. Um, he is the uh, uh, founding dean and current dean of the uh, Martin Luther King Jr. International Chapel on the campus of Morehouse College. Uh, he has been in that position for at least the past what forty years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's been there for a while. Himself recruited him. <laughs> self-recruited himself um he, he also teaches uh religion at morehouse college he has a, a, a 
a, a myriad of, of, of awards and recognition. We, we, we really honor him and, and um, he's a phenomenal teacher. <clears throat> uh, I just wanna really quick hop on the topic of protesting, but before I get there, I do want to uh, go into Cedar Hill Baptist Church. So Cedar Hill Baptist Church is a church that Reverend um, J uh, Jared Sawyer Jr. is, is a leader there. Um, uh, Cedar Hill um, Baptist Church is located at 1304 Northwest Drive, Northwest, which is in Atlanta, Georgia. Zip code is 30318. So if y'all wanna give them a call, the number is 404-792-7111. Um, so Reverend Sawyer, I do wanna ask you, um, uh, just tell us a little bit about um, Cedar Hill Baptist Church and how you guys are 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 uh, how you guys are involved in what's going on today politically and socially. Yeah, well, we are an old organization, an old church, 105 years. I grew up in that church um, when I was five years old. Well, wow. ever since I was born, and then I got licensed and ordained there, uh, left there at the age of maybe 16 um, before I graduated from high school, um, or maybe two years before I graduated from high school. I had left that church to uh, go to uh, Greater Piney Grove Baptist Church, and the pastor at uh, Center Hill uh, retired last year, and so I'm, I'm back there now. And, um, you know, it's, it's a great church, uh, old church, um, but not old and stuck in their ways, old and progressive, old and mm. realizing that the time is now to do us right and for us to be uh, Christians, true Christians, um, people who are um, uh, realizing that, that that scripture is so real when we say that God is a God who loves mercy and um, God is a God who loves justice. God is a God who loves righteousness. He's a God who... Uh, wants us to push towards equity and not just be satisfied with equality. And, Come on now. Um, this is the power of um, the church, the black church in 2020, is that I believe that there are, are a few churches uh, like myself in, in our church that have decided not to just uh, be on the sideline, um, but that we need to guide this movement the same way that um, uh, the historic church did in the 1950s and 60s. Yes. Absolutely. Well, um, again, you guys have the Cedar Hill Baptist Church information. Uh, and if you're, if you're in the Atlanta uh, area, hop on over there and visit them, man. Um, they're doing amazing work. Um, they have some uh, women and men of wisdom um, that, that would be more than welcome to, uh, to, uh, to share their love and their expertise and their, and their knowledge with you um and and to, and to and you will also be fed so that's 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 the beautiful thing um <clears throat> my first question when it comes to um protesting is um followed by this statement that um i'm really big into definitions and i'm more so into how words are are used um as a sociology major, I had to I had to learn about language and society, not to learn about not just the definition of words, but how how words can be framed in a certain in a certain uh, uh, in a certain context or 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 have a certain cadence that will you know trigger certain certain emotions or certain actions. And so when when we think about the word protest, um, how do you how do you define that word? Uh, compared to words like riot or militancy or other words like that, how do you define the word protest in, in, your, in your perspective? Sure. Um, it's a good question. Um, protest, uh, protest uh, to me uh, just means objection. You know, protest to me just means objection, and 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 it means uh, objecting. Um, and and you can protest in different ways. You can protest uh, by making a statement, and you can protest by way of your actions. Um, 
protest to me is just an element of civil disobedience. And it's really interesting you talked about language and words because, you know, civil disobedience is really just another creative way of saying nonviolent social resistance. Uh, but a lot of young people don't want to hear those words. So we more so put at the forefront the verbiage of civil disobedience because civil disobedience um, has a has a has a little bit of a bigger a better uh, gist to it, you know. Right. Yes, sir. Okay. So protest. I mean, absolutely. So <clears throat> some people will say, "Well, I mean, there's no point in protesting. It's not important. Why is protesting important?" Protesting is important because if you protest is important because protest gives you the opportunity to show that you have integrity because if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Mm -hmm. So protest makes way for you to present yourself a valuable human being in society. Should one not protest, you um, are showing um, you're kind of succumbing to a to a, a invaluable state as a human being in, in, in society. If you stand for something, um, you can protest in, in so many different ways. Like I said, through statements, you can protest um, on social media, you could protest just among your close family and friends. Um, when you see something wrong that is uh, not right and you make a statement of that, uh, of that, you know, or against that wrong, that right there is protest. Um, if one is not doing that, um, then they're not being a, a valuable human being. Absolutely. <clears throat> when we think about Jesus, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get into your personal experience of protesting in a minute. But when we think about the Bible, and we think about Jesus and justice, and we think about the relationship between protesting um, in multiple ways um, in, in scripture. Is, is, there, is there any story in the Bible or, 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 any, or any, any, any time in the Bible where you saw Jesus or, or we can read about Jesus, you know, protesting in the way that you had described? Hmm. I can't think of one particularly um off the top of my head um but um if jesus were here today you know amidst this political climate amidst um this hate this rage this uh violence this uh vengeance right uh, stemming out of white supremacy in mm -hmm. 2020 um i believe that uh jesus would join us in these protests um I believe that uh, perhaps Jesus's entire life was a protest. Exactly. Uh, that Jesus was, was mocked, he was ridiculed, he was abused, he was intimidated, he was arrested because he dared to become a protester by the way that he lived. Um, you know, that said, I think that protesting uh, has to be a personal uh, affirmation um, and not just a uh, thing that you do just for the sake of uh, doing it. Because I believe that Jesus uh, did show us a model simply through his life of what uh, protest does look like. Absolutely. <clears throat> so I know that you had mentioned, you know, your definition of protest. You talked about Jesus and protests, and I think that those two things together um, are factors as to why you decided to protest. But I do want to ask you the question um, bluntly: um, Why did you decide to to, to uh, go out and protest? Why did you decide to go out and lead a protest? Why did you decide to go out and you know uh, advocate and be involved in a physical protest outside with with our fellow protesters? You know, this is a good question because this is a question a lot of people have been asking me lately because I've always been more so behind the scenes. I've worked with a lot of your, you know, organizations uh, that have been civil rights advocate from 
you know, the Equal Justice Initiative to the NAACP National Action Network, SCLC, all those, and have worked closely with those leaders at the national, uh, local, and state level. Um, but never was, 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 was traditionally a protester or one to be leading um, marches or movements um, in anything like this. Up until about a week ago, um, or a week and a half ago, whenever uh, it was that, that, that we became aware of what happened to our brother George Floyd, um, when I began to see the, the, the unrest that um, was going on all over this country and I realized, okay, you know what, this is not going away anytime soon because black people at this point are fed up and so are some white people. They said, okay, you know, we're just sick and tired of being sick and tired of being sick and tired and we're just not going to uh, deal with this any longer. This is the time for us to eradicate police brutality and the stain of white nationalism in this country once and for all. Right. But then I realized that there was a problem when I said, let me scale back and, you know, um, I had brought together um, uh, some activists in the city of Atlanta and, and realized uh, after talking with a lot of them that there was a, a, a yearning, a desire for um, leadership and for guidance um, and uh, that we needed to begin to mobilize a singular black agenda. And that's why I decided to, 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 get, into, to get into protesting. I, I literally, right before... I had got on this call, I was just on the phone with um, Dr. Bernice King, um, mm. his daughter and the CEO of the King Center. Wow. And um, her mother has a, has, a, has a quote that she says, um, says uh, that struggle is a never ending process, that freedom is never really won, but that you have to earn it and that you have to win it in every single generation. And um, I think that now is a time for us to really figure out what is the freedom that we're going to win in this generation? Mm. You know, um, are we going to win the freedom of voter suppression? Um, are we going to win the freedom of police brutality? Are we going to win the freedom of um, the abstinence of, of hate crime? Um, you know, what are the freedoms that we're going to, that we're going to win? Uh, and how can we work together to make that happen? That's why I'm out there protesting and working with a lot of our older leaders um, who've been there, done that. Some of the ones who can, bridge the gap, uh, like, Dr., uh, like Dr. Bernice King, um, who has a passion for this next generation, uh, who wants to see us win a freedom, um, who um, is willing to, to be there for us um, as young people. Because what we forget is that, you know, 55, 60 years ago, it was young people who led the civil rights movement. They were in their 20s, they were in their 30s. and um, so that's why I've been protesting. I've been protesting because the time is now and it's time for um, me to do my part and step up to the plate and for me to do what I can to help mobilize um, this resistance um, that is rightfully um, in place. It's time to go from awareness to some direct action. Absolutely. Um, be beautifully said. Um, <clears throat> when we when we talk about preparing for a protest, a lot of people focus on having the water bottle, having the mask. Everybody has those things. I, I want to ask you, how did you prepare for protesting as far as mentally, spiritually, psychologically? How did you prepare to go out and protest? Well, Dr. King gave us an outline of what we need to do in civil disobedience. And I'll name a few of those things that become a part of my preparation routine. Sure. This information gathering. Um, I, I, I scale back my emotions and figure out what is going on and what is it that I am attacking or that I'm bringing awareness to. Um, what is it that I'm trying to reconcile with? Um, what is it specifically that I'm doing, right? Um, we know that Black Lives Matter. We know no justice, no peace. Um, we know that we are upset and angry and disappointed and fearful and confused and just emotionally complicated and tired right now in response to George Floyd's senseless killing and the senseless killing of the other unsolved 
um, and we're not unsolved, but rather uh, uh, not brought to justice cases like Tamir Rice and Trayvon Martin and Sandra Bland and so on and so forth. Brianna Taylor. Brianna Taylor, who we, you know, have not been saying her name enough. Um, mm -hmm. But the question is, you know, what is it that, that, that I'm wanting to do, you know? Um, you know, okay, I, I, I want police brutality to stop. Okay, how? Right. What is the specific demand that I'm bringing to the table at this protest? The second thing is um, uh, mass education, um, mm -hmm. that if I'm bringing other people with me to this protest and if I'm protesting, I need to make sure that I know and that other people that are in my network know um, what the purpose behind our protest is. Because mm -hmm. um, it's got to now move from awareness to something deeper, something special something more intentional um, because the whole world has stopped to pay attention to the situation but what are we going to do now and what are we telling the world to do um another thing that i do is uh the dr king lays uh fourth force is is uh, uh, a personal commitment mm -hmm. I, I i sit back and i realize am i being uh helpful by actually getting out there and protesting because I've got to make a personal commitment to this. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm going to be any help, it's not going to be for me just being a number mm -hmm. uh, in a crowd saying Black Lives Matter or no justice, no peace. But I'm going to have to put my commitment where my mouth is. Um, I'm going to have to put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to have to put my relationships where my mouth is. I, as a Black person, have to be willing to confront the system um, not just um, in the number of a march, but I have to be willing to confront uh, the system in other creative and even possibly agitating ways. Um, and so those are some of the things that I do to prepare uh, mentally um, and strategically for a protest is uh, I, I, I scale back, I do some information gathering, I do some, 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 some mass education um, mm -hmm. in my network of people and, and I figure out, have I made a personal commitment to this? Um, am I ready to go in for this, you know? You're right. I mean, the educational preparedness and like, I mean, I'm sure that like, but like you, you, you had, you had also prayed and things like that as well. But I mean, that educational preparedness is, is crucial. You know, um, some people even, even go as far as, you know, um, uh, educating others uh, on like a massive scale. So like they will, they will, they will bring, bring uh, 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 signs that don't just have um, a quote on it or a sentence on it, but it will have like stats on it, something like that. Or like it will have some very uh, agitating words on them. Um, and then they'll, they'll be able to have conversations while they're there and, and things like that. And so, um, you know, but, but like I said earlier, protesting is not limited to uh, just going to a physical demonstration or a physical protest. Protesting is, 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 is really, oh, oh, it's really awareness. It's really aware. Like when you're, it's really hard for me to believe that somebody could be aware and not protest something. Mm -hmm. um, because when you're aware of something and you're truly aware of it, especially when it comes to uh, injustice, inequality, dehumanization, immorality, uh, inhumaneness, when you're aware of these, these conditions of any people, but particularly Black people and you're a Black person, or particularly Black people and you're not, you're not a Black person, but you understand the history of America, then you should be advocating and you should be protesting against police brutality, against educational inequality, against environmental injustice. <clears throat> now, not enough just to create a non-racist culture or to turn a white person into a non-racist white person. We need more people to be anti-racist. Black people, right about now, are anti-racist. What can white people do right now? A lot of people, a lot of white people have asked me, what can I do right now? What can I do right now? Number one, I need you to be anti-racist. And number two, I need your friends. I need you to get your friends and your colleagues and mm -hmm. your white culture to become anti-racist. 
I need you all to hate racism. I need mm-hmm. you all to hate it as, a, as the sickness and demon that it is. And until you begin to hate racism and um, become anti-racist, um, then um, it, this, this non-racist culture uh, is just not going to be enough. Because when you become anti-racist, um, you become, and genuinely anti-racist, you become willing to dismantle white supremacy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so when we think about your protest experience, how many, I mean, have you been on more than one protest or? Yeah, yeah. The past, uh, the past week, um, week and a half, I have been to, I have organized tens and tens and tens of protests um, along with a couple of other brothers and sisters of mine in this city, we started a movement called the Tired Movement. Wow. Where we've said, okay, look, you know, we're, let's, let's evoke the emotions of our people right now, which is the fact that we're sick and tired of being sick and tired and sick and tired. But we're going to move from, from awareness to real direct action, real mobilization towards very tangible things that immediately must get done. I am not phased by executive orders by mayors saying that they're going to be banning this and doing this and doing that or adopting President Obama's 21st century policing reform. We need something a little bit more substantial than that. We need legislation. We need actual law and we need to dismantle the laws that are protecting um, police officers and giving them the opportunity to commit police brutality and keep on getting off for to these very bare minimums. We've got to remove qualified immunity for police officers. That says that if a police officer is not violating the constitutional rights of a person, that they can just claim self-defense and not go to jail for it. The devil is alive. We're not going to continue to allow such a thing anymore. We're going to educate our people on those laws that are protecting police officers. We're going to dismantle these police unions. We're going to um, literally sever the contracts between police unions and cities that's tying up these mayors and chief of polices from actually putting um, um, real legislation and execution to the table um, of the laws and the things that are in place. We're getting rid of these evil police unions that are protecting police officers. We are pulling money out of their pockets by demanding as corporate companies around the country are trying to figure out what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Stop funding police unions. If police unions are not protecting our people, if police unions are siding with cricket cops instead of helping the good ones that we have defund the police unions. You know, we've got to begin to really um, organize these things, and that's what our that's what our movement is all about. Um, executing creative protests, creative protests. You know, um, someone um, I was I was just talking with someone about this a little bit earlier because they sent to me this thing about Chick Fil A. You know, um, telling its employees not to include Chick Fil A in its bio if 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 they're with Black Lives Matter. Right. So someone was like, you know, look, same thing with uh, Starbucks. And same thing with Starbucks, you know. Um, and, you know, they're like, you know, let's boycott Chick-fil-A. I said, well, you got to be careful with that. I said, you have to prepare our people for a boycott. They said, what do you mean? I said, well, because the thing is, if we boycott Chick-fil-A and the boycott actually works, because let's just say that we did pull all of our black money out of Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. Well, 67% of Chick-fil-A, if, 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 if 67% of Chick-fil-A's employment are black people who are actually in the franchises, in these restaurants, Chick-fil-A is a corporate company. They're going to do like any other company. They're going to put profit over people. So they're going to fire the 67% of black folks that are working for them. Now then, what do we have prepared for those black folks? Mm. Have we set aside our own black type of Chick-fil-A, you know, our mm. own black fast food chain restaurant that um, is prepared to coop the unemployment of the black folks who would get fired from Chick-fil-A? Um, have we... Uh, equipped some type of a, uh, we prepared some type of a, a crowd fund that the employees of Chick-fil-A can dip into and create our own stimulus package for black people who would get affected by this withdrawal. You know, what have we done to prepare for those things? So that's what our movement is all about. Preparation, real aggregation, um, pulling our resources together, connecting, you know, we've been meeting, I met with, um, Two NFL players the other day, uh, Josh Norman um, from the Buffalo Bills and uh, DeMarle Davis from the Saints, and letting them know some of the things that they can do 
and getting other NFL players involved, there are people who come into the table in the hip hop world, in the uh, athletic world, et cetera, that are ready to put their money where their mouth is, that are ready to assemble with us to create economic um, equity for the first time, but it's gonna take us unifying under one umbrella and making that happen. Give us a walkthrough of what happens on the way to the to a protest from, from from your eyes. You can pick one or you can just think about them in general. Just put us in the mindset or like in the in the uh, in the setting or the environment of you going to the protest. Well, everyone's different. You know, me, I go to protests very clear-headed, being that, you know, when I go into a protest, uh, I'm not clouded by a bunch of emotions. Um, I'm extremely focused. There's some, though, who come to protest angry. There's some that come to protest sad. There's some that come to protest confused. Um, there's some that come to protest extremely confident. Everybody is so different. Right. Um, but one thing about it, though, is that everyone that does come to a protest has their own um, purpose. Um, so the mind of what happens, you know, when one is going to a protest to first person by person, for me, I'm extremely focused and I am excited about what the product of this protest will actually be. And give us give us like the setting or the or the or the. The, uh, the climate of a protest of, of, of the actual protest itself or the demonstration itself. You can, you can pick one particular one or you can just talk about it in general, but how does protesting look like in, in Atlanta during this time? Right now, protesting in Atlanta is high spirited, you know, no, no meekness, no sadness, no, ah, uh, Oh, we're here, but no, people are, people are fed up, but people are willing and ready to go all in, you know, even some of our white brothers, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I did a protest last week where, where, where these white guys came up to me and they were like, Hey, here, and they brought 500 goggles and they were ready wow. to, they were ready to, they were ready to, to get, um, uh, maced and tear gas, tear gas and mace. Right. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, this is what we're dealing with. In wow. We're dealing with um, some white people who come to the table and I mean, they're fed up too. So, I mean, you know, look, I, the, the, the spirit is just high right now. You know, people are feeling good right now um, about uh, these, these particular protests. Everyone is really, really connecting with, uh, with what's going on. Wow. Um, <clears throat> is there anything that happened during one of your protest experiences recently that you would say is like a unique experience or you were really surprised or really moved you at all? When um, a white woman um, who um, came out to the protest, she um, got up on the mic and, and started speaking and she said, for a while, I did have a problem with me personally saying that Black Lives Matter, even though I believed it. She said, and it wasn't because of me conflicting myself, but because of me being scared that I would be a target among my white friends, me putting up a sign in my yard. Until I said to myself, me being afraid of being a target is inconsiderate because this is how black people feel every day. Mm. They feel as though they are a target. And that really touched me. That really, really touched me because that said that what you're essentially doing is, you know, you're, you're, you're essentially, um, you, you, are, you are intentionally uh, choosing to make yourself uncomfortable. Um, in, 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 in making these statements and doing these things. You know, I'm, I'm not phased by white people who uh, are comfortable in what they're doing, but I'm phased by white people who are uncomfortable 
doing mm. what they're doing because that shows me that you're intentional. Absolutely. Um, so like bring us home, like you're, you're in the um, protest, um, you know, so Mike has come up to you and say, you know, here's 500 goggles. You know, you're having these experiences where you're seeing white women give, um, you know, some beautiful uh, testimonies, I would say. Um, so <clears throat> how was the, how was the drive home? Like, what is, what, what is, what is going through your mind? What is the, what is the climate, you know, how, how was the ride going home? We're fired up. We are fired up. You know, that protest would have given us the affirmation that we needed, that there are more that are with us than there are that are against us that um we needed to hear we heard what we needed to hear we um we connected the way that we needed to connect it and that god is on our side and uh so now when we when we're going home um we are fired up we've been given our instructions we know that which we need to do um and uh we're 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 ready to 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 take things to that next level. Yes, um, <clears throat> we have some beautiful journalists and beautiful writers, some beautiful editors, um, and we've seen uh, some of our fellow brothers brother and sisters be be even fired on air uh, for sticking up for truth and speaking truth to power. Um, <clears throat> has mainstream media and major news corporations reported? on protests accurately to you? Oh, absolutely not. And this is the reason why there are some good white people who don't understand why we are promoting violence. What they don't realize is that because of the media and because of their disconnect from the grounds of the community is um, uh, the majority of the protesters out there, I'd say even as far as 98% of the protesters out there have been extremely nonviolent. They have exemplified what civil disobedience looks like in the grandest sense possible. They have rejected um, the idea of being vigilant with the police or trying to taunt them. The majority of protests and demonstrations all over this country, especially in the city of Atlanta, um, have been extremely nonviolent. The media has done a terrible job at, at shining the proper light on people who um, are out there standing up for what is right. But it's intentional. And that's the reason when we are tired of being manipulated by politics. We are mm-hmm. tired of being manipulated by the media. You know, um, the media is very intentional about what it is that they do. Somebody came up to me, uh, one of the media outlets, uh, as I was talking about this at a protest about a week ago, they came Mm -hmm. up to me and they said, hey, uh, my name is whatever their name was, and I'm with um, the evil media you were talking about. I said, which one? (laughs) And then they were like, uh, they told me which one. And I said, okay, I guess you're not all that evil since um, you actually showed up today, huh? (laughs) Just depends on what it is you're going to show of what I said. Mhm. Mhm. <laughs> oh, that's that's hilarious. Um, <clears throat> Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, is is uh is 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 one of the names that come up a lot when we when we talk about uh, civil rights, human rights, equality, freedom. Um, and Reverend Dr. King Jr. had um, had quoted Amos a lot, and one thing that he quoted Amos on a lot was when Amos in Amos chapter five verse twenty four, where he says, um, he says, um, "But let justice roll down as waters, and righteousness as a mighty stream." And so, my question to you, my brother, is. Even though we know that racism is embedded in 
our culture and it's embedded in our institutions. And it probably will not go, uh, it probably will not be eradicated during our lifetimes. What can we do to end systemic racism in our society? We're gonna have to disrupt the system. We're gonna have to keep at it. We cannot let off like we did in the past with other senseless killings of uh, unarmed black men. But we're gonna have to keep on being disruptive, but we're gonna have to be even more disruptive. The only way for us to be even more disruptive is that we're gonna have to come up with a singular black agenda that we're gonna put on the table that we're going to get black people on and prepare them to get on as well. We're gonna to have to put our money where our mouths are. We're gonna to have to force the influencers that be in our black community to um, truly be the, uh, 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 not necessarily the voices because they might be, could be the voices, but for them to be the provocateurs of what we need them to be the provocateurs of. We need, uh, we're gonna to have to put the pressure on uh, white uh, corporations and leaders um, to respond the way that we want them to respond. Um, and, and, and we're gonna have to come with an with a agenda that not one man or woman around this country won't know what the black agenda is, you know? Um, we, we've gotta look back at history and realize that there's nothing new under the sun, you know? Um, you know, 55, 60 years ago when they were marching, um, people knew exactly what it was that they were marching for and what it is that they wanted. You know, look, we right. want to pass the Civil Rights Act in 1963, 1964, bam. You know, we want to pass a Voting Rights Act in 1965. So we are marching across this Edmund Pettus Bridge every single day, every single Sunday, et cetera, for this to happen, bam. Mm. You know, we want this uh, uh, Housing Act to be passed housing. in 1968, right. you know. And, right. and it's, it's very, very intentional. And that's what we need to get to the point where we need to realize, okay, we need to unify on a very specific agenda and move forward from there. Absolutely. Um, just <clears throat> uh, this, this, this is my final question. Um, and I don't want to, I, I don't want to take up much more of your time, my brother, but I do want to say that, you know, thank you again for coming on here and, um, you know, I'm excited for the future because of young leaders like you who are really putting in the groundwork for our descendants. Um, my last question is, what keeps you hopeful that our descendants will live in a better world? Well, what keeps me hopeful is um, when I ask myself what was going through the thoughts and the minds of my ancestors, um, and the folks who were connected to them 50 years ago, when they were looking at what was going on and they were willing to put their life on the line. I see the same thing right now. Those young people who are out there in the streets who are confronting the cops are not doing it out of ignorance. They're not doing it out of a place of just being a vigilant for the sake of it. It's one of those things where folks are really ready to die for this. Mm -hmm. really because they they've looked and said okay look even if i can't win it even if like dr king said i can't get there with you we're mm -hmm. gonna get there as a people maybe my sacrifice um is 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 going to move us from here to there and that's why i that's why i have hope that's why i'm inspired because i see um that we perhaps in this very specific moment on this day june 11 2020 we perhaps may have um, entered into um, the first um, phase of the modern day uh, civil rights movement as we know it. Mm. Um, when we think about what what Jesus did, like at the at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, you know when when Jesus was rejected at Nazareth and he said that um, the, spirit, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, you know, uh, God has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to um, give liberty to the captives and give sight to the blind. Um, he was talking about the disenfranchised people. 
He was talking about the poor, people who did not, were not treated equally, who were put aside, who were the stranger, the widow, you know, the motherless, the fathers, the people who have been stripped from, from, from their liberties or had never even been given liberties. Um, and so when we talk about white supremacy and we talk about a nation that claims to be Christian, even though it does not have Christian, Christian practices, white, white nationalists, white supremacists want our rhythm, but they, but they don't want our blues. Mm. Want, they want to they wanna dance and sing and take and, and look like us and feel what we feel as far as our, as our, as our joy, because we laugh a lot. We, we love yeah. to be a loving people. We love to be a generous people. We love to be a caring people. There's no love like a black mama's love. There's no laugh like a young black baby's laugh. You know, mm -hmm. but 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 when it comes to our wounds, when it comes to our blues, when it comes to our tyranny, they don't want to talk about that. The only, the, only, the, the only time they want to talk about that is when their foot is on is on our necks. You see what I'm saying? And so when it comes to uh, progress in America, we do have to focus on education. Let's focus on what we are teaching uh, our young our young children as far as you know African history and, and European history. I know more Socrates and Plato and and and, and uh, Aristotle than I do Pahotep. You know what I'm saying? I know I know I know more. Uh, you know I know more of. Um, uh, I, I know I know more Shakespeare than I know the 48 laws of the chaos. Like. I mean, I know, like, I know more European-centered things than I do African things. I think that, you know, Dr. Naeem Akbar is right when he said that we have to know thyself. And once we know ourselves, we, we, we know where, where we're going and we know wh where we came from. I do firmly believe that the ideal of Sankofa is really to know the past so that we can have a clear vision of the future. <clears throat> but more importantly, um, in this country, we have this idea of individualism, and in the Black community, we have always had an idea not of, I think therefore I am, as Descartes would say, but we had a tradition that comes, I believe, out of, out of Ghana that says Ubuntu, and Ubuntu means that I am because we are. So <clears throat> it is our duty to make a, per a more perfect union by the people for the people. So it is our duty and it is our obligation. We have to advocate for the poor and for the disenfranchised because that's not only what Jesus did, but on a civil level, we are supposed to do that as citizens of this country and citizens of the world. We have a moral obligation to, to do that as human beings for other human beings. We have a spiritual obligation to do that because that's what Jesus Christ did. <clears throat> so, um, even though we are exhausted, even though we we can't play video games at our house, we can't have bouncy houses in our in, in, in our in our backyard. We can't jog. We can't uh, ask the policeman for help on the side of the street. Even though we are literally choking, we cannot breathe. We still have hope, and we are still excited, and we are and we and we, and we still smile because we know that we can that, that we can help non-black people understand the plight of black people we we know that we can still change the hearts and minds of those who are affected not with the disease of coronavirus but with the disease of white supremacy the virus of white supremacy the virus of um profit over people the virus of you know being more concerned with property than they do a person's life and so with that, with that all being said, my brother, um, it, is, it, is, it is just a beautiful um, experience talking with you about writing a new future for our um, descendants. Um, is there any last words that you would like to say? Uh, just thank you so much for, for having me. And I just pray that God continues to use you to uh, continue to have these conversations um, that are very important and necessary in our community. Man, thank, thank you so much for even being on here, man. I'm recording this before I even post my, my, my first uh, uh, episode. Um, uh, I'm, I'm sweating bullets right now. So, but thank you so much, y'all, for listening, for tuning in. 
Um, Y'all can like and comment on this video if I want to, but really go to the go to the description and go to Reverend Gerald Jarrett Sawyer Jr.'s uh, uh, website or his email or his uh, social media. Hit him up and tell him how you were educated by him, or you were uplifted by him, or you were inspired by him, or or how God used him to to reach you. Um, that's what's more important to me than uh, getting the likes for the YouTube algorithm and getting comments uh, in regards to how I can do the video better or you guys just tell me if like, the video was good. Reach out to Reverend Jared Sawyer Jr. He needs your prayers. He needs your uplift. All the little, the little things really matter, especially for, for people who are in Reverend Jared Sawyer Jr.'s position. Um, we love you. We appreciate you, uh, Rev. Um, we can't wait for uh, how how God will use you um, from after we get off this call to uh, to future years to come. Um, I pray you know healing and peace and 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 love and unity um, for your family, for your community, for your city, for your state, and for this country and for the nation. Um, and you know you really are a true light to the world. Um, and I just can't wait to to um, to see what more God has in store in your life. So thank you again. I'm gonna go ahead and end this. Thank y'all for watching. Thank y'all for tuning in. Thank y'all for listening. Um, and God bless. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation with Reverend Jerry Sawyer Jr. Like, subscribe, and share. But as always, and most importantly, please reach out to Reverend Jerry Sawyer Jr. via the links in the description. This is my 11th interview recorded on Wednesday, June 11, 2020. Um, just for future reference. But thank you so much for listening, and please subscribe to stay up to date. Happiness, health, love, and peace.